0: African Dialogue
1: Appointing meetings for marine species in particular
0: African Dialogue A talk show where we cover anything and everything
2: Well, thank you for joining us once again. We are broadcasting from the Hyatt Hotel, Hyatt Hotel. rather. It's our second day right here in Rosebank. We are partnering with the NAPED Business Foundation and uh, really looking at the second annual Public-Private Dialogue Forum on Infrastructure Projects. And as we highlighted yesterday, it's really to accelerate the process of uh, regional infrastructure on the continent. Yesterday, we were speaking to Dr. Remu the Director of Infrastructure and Services at the SEDEX Secretariat, looking at some of the main projects in the region. And uh, today, we'll be focusing on some of the events that are coming up today. We've got Lynette cheng the ceo of the NAPIT business foundation but right, right now let's cross back to our johannesburg studios for our news
1: In the headlines, no news on the whereabouts of the 200 girls abducted 11 months ago by Boko Haram militants, at least four people killed by Somali militants during a raid on a Kenyan town, and AU, UN and the Sudanese government discussed the withdrawal of the peacekeeping mission to Sudan. I'm Anne Musa. a very good morning to you. The Nigerian military has had no news of the more than 200 girls abducted 11 months ago by Boko Haram militants. Lieutenant General Kenneth Minema, responding to a question from reporters on the fate of the missing schoolgirls, say they have made inquiries but have had no success. He, however, says they remain optimistic that the details of the girls' whereabouts would become known as the size of the territory under Boko Haram control continues to shrink. Boko Haram militants abducted a total of 276 school from Chibok, in northeastern Borno State in April last year. Boko Haram insurgents have meanwhile attacked a village in the far north region of Cameroon, killing at least one civilian. The militants rode on motorbikes into Gulf War from the Nigerian border. Armies from Nigeria, Cameroon, Chad and Niger have launched an offensive to end Boko Haram's six-year insurgency, which has killed thousands of people and threatened the stability of the region. Al-Shabaab militants have killed at least four people during a raid on Wajir town near the border with Somalia. Hooded gunmen attacked a shop in the town, firing guns and setting off explosives. Al-Shabaab claimed responsibility for the raid. The militants last week also killed several people when they attacked a convoy carrying the governor of Mandera, Roba, near the Mandera area bordering Somalia. The United Nations, the African Union and the Sudanese government have started discussions on the phased withdrawal of the peacekeeping mission to Sudan. UNMIT's downsizing is underway, even though UN officials believe there has been no progress in the peace process in the last year. Under Secretary General for Peacekeeping, Hachwe Latsus elaborates.
3: Fighting between the government of Sudan and the non-signatory armed groups has increased significantly. In an effort to defeat the armed groups, the government has implemented its, that's its name, decisive summer military offensive through the use of the rapid support forces, that is a counter-insurgency militia, with aerial and ground support from the Sudan armed forces.
1: And finally, Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu has declared victory for his Likud party and signals he's in talks with nationalist parties to set up a coalition government. Netanyahu says he has spoken with the heads of right-wing parties and urged them to set up a coalition quickly. Earlier exit polls indicated Likud to be on course to take 29 seats in the 120-seat parliament and the Zionist Union 24 seats. Recapping the top stories, no news on the whereabouts of the 200 girls abducted 11 months ago by Boko Haram militants. At least four people have been killed by Somali militants during a raid on a Kenyan town. And AU, UN and the Sudanese government discussed the withdrawal of the peacekeeping mission to Sudan.
0: African Dialogue, looking at different events in depth, discussing a variety of issues.
4: This is a
5: very significant uh, historical
6: election. This crisis is still damaging, especially Finnish and European economies very hardly. And that's an important reason to get more and more cooperation.
4: And uh, what we see here is a clear violation of, one, the right to privacy of uh, Tiwonge and uh, Stephen,
0: joining us right
2: here on African Dialogue. You're listening to us right here on our frequency 9625 kilohertz on the 31 meter band to Southern Africa. Thank you as well if you're joining us online on www.channelafrica.org. Today we are broadcasting on our second day here in Rosebank in Johannesburg, South Africa. We're broadcasting from the Hyatt Hotel. We have been partnering with the Napid Business Foundation. They are really supervising the second public-private dialogue forum on infrastructure projects, which is really aimed at accelerating the infrastructural projects on the continent, and we know the language on the continent right now is really regional more than anything. It's about regional collaboration, and uh, yesterday we had a lot of uh, talks that uh, took place, but this is the second day, the final day, and already uh, there's a plenary session that's already taking place looking at critical success factors for securing project preparation funds and Uh, Coming up, and uh, we actually had just recently in the last hour, the innovative funding models to finance Africa's priority infrastructure projects. And uh, this is really a lot of things that are happening at this particular uh, forum, really to look at the practical ways we can accelerate infrastructure projects on the continent. And we have guests uh, who are joining us for our final day here in our live broadcast. I'm happy to have the CEO of the NAPED Business Foundation Lynette Chang. I've always wanted to speak to her uh, just to get uh, really an understanding of what's her vision behind the Napid Business Foundation. We also have uh, Mr. Kotwano. Kotwano is the CEO of the Export Credit Insurance, and we also have for our third guest and Tandu Matayo, who is the Strategic planning, planning Manager of the Tanzania Ports Authority. Now, I want to start this part of the conversation with you as we start off, Linet Chen, because I've always wanted to know your vision, your idea behind the NAPIT Business Foundation. Where did it come from?
7: Thank you, Benjamin. The NEPAD Business Foundation was started uh, just after the launch of NEPAD as the program for Africa's social and economic development in 2001. Um, And the premise of that strategy is that Africa needs to take charge of its own challenges and come up with African solutions, and it's also to ensure long-term sustainability of uh, of Africans, And the only way you can do that is to really increase economic activity. So meaning that through creating jobs, creating businesses, manufacturing, you're able to then alleviate people out of poverty. And that is really the long-term uh, vision that NEPAD achieves. Um, the way that the business foundation was created was we were called by uh, one of the founding fathers of NEPAD, uh, President Mbeki at the time, um, to say that private sector is the major driver for economic growth and therefore could we organize ourselves, ourselves into um, an institution that could bring private sector on board to help implement and accelerate in implementation of NEPAD programs and so that's what we've done. Uh, we were created as an NGO in 2004. Um, But prior to that, we met as a group of voluntary business people trying to figure out uh, what are the challenges of doing business in Africa, what are the opportunities, how do we increase investment, what are the barriers that need to be addressed, and more importantly, how do these investments impact real economic development, which means going beyond traditional corporate social responsibility. Building clinics and schools is, is all good and well, but how do we actually change the mindset of corporates to invest in a manner where they are creating jobs, training engineers, etc., And that's really much the heart and vision uh, is bringing private sector and mobilizing them for development. And,
2: and since you started uh, this particular journey, uh, what have been the key lessons for you, especially with such uh, big visions that are involved uh, with uh, infrastructure developments and uh, skill transfer and trade? Uh, what have been the key areas that you say, hey, These are the key areas that I've learned from when I was part of this foundation.
7: Well, we found that the biggest challenge was in order to ensure that these projects get delivered, government and private sector don't necessarily understand each other because they don't communicate and there's insufficient sharing of ideas and partnership. And that's the role that the MBF really plays is bringing stakeholders together. So government has the responsibility to implement these massive infrastructure projects, which are mainly for social good, but also to help increase trade and investment. The private sector has the appetite and the interest and the skill um, and yet often they don't talk to each other. Um, and, the, and most important of all, the communities are the ones that are thought of at the end. Um, so we bring all the three stakeholders together, we facilitate the dialogues, which is really what we've been doing over the last two days. But more than just the talk, we go beyond that. We actually get into the project implementation. So within NBF, we are aligned to the NEPAD five focus areas. Obviously, through this conference, we're aligned to the PEDA, Program Infrastructure Development for Africa. Um, And through that, we have brought in the breakaway sessions yesterday and today, specific projects where we bring the project owners like the Tanzanian Port Authority who are trying to coordinate and implement the large ports in Tanzania, Dar es Salaam Port and Matara Port, and bring the private sector to, to discuss and partner with these government agencies and how do we develop the projects, how do we implement them, how do we finance them and what is the spin-offs for the community and the economic development.
2: Now before we uh, come to you and, and, and look at that particular uh, developments in what's happening in the Tanzania ports, Mr. Matau, I want to come to you, Mr. Kotwana Kotwana, because you are the CEO of the Export Credit Insurance. You were looking at de-risking financing on infrastructure projects. Uh, tell us some of the themes that you highlighted in uh, today's presentation.
6: Basically that uh, South Africa is very committed to the whole Africa agenda, uh, especially as far as infrastructural development is concerned. And therefore, it is very important that uh, the funding mechanisms are structured in such a way that uh, you de-risk the project, you know, take some of those risks in the project that cannot be uh, handled or be, you know, sustained by the market. We call them non-marketable risk. They can be of the commercial nature, and they can be of a political nature, which we call political risk. We therefore provide insurance cover uh, which uh, you know could be insurance against debt that is raised on South Af- in South Africa from South African financial institutions, especially banks, and uh, you know that uh, supports South African exporter of a capital good or service so actually the the, the basic uh, uh, parameters upon which we work is that uh, it is very difficult uh, sometimes to win contracts like in the Tanzania Port Authority you know, projects, for instance, if you do not have a strong backing that uh, you know, enable the private banking sector to uh, have an appetite to f- uh, finance the exporter of capital equipment or plant or components to that particular project.
2: We'll come back to that because I think uh, that's the trick, isn't it? It's uh, creating that appetite for the private industry whereby they can say, hey, this is actually an investment for us and we can reap from it. Uh, But let me move on to you, uh, Mr. Matayo from the Tanzania Ports Authority. Uh, Mr. Matayo is a strategic planning manager there. Uh, Mr. Matayo, tell us a little bit about uh, the uh, developments when it comes to uh, the ports industry in uh, Tanzania.
4: Uh,
5: Thank you, Mr. Benjamin. Uh, In Tanzania, we determined to develop port infrastructure. Currently, the infrastructure we have, they are not adequate to accommodate the increasing traffic. And as a response to the challenges we are facing, that is congestion and other uh, lead to capacity to handle the anticipated traffic, We have several projects that we want to undertake and we do it under different arrangements. We have those that we, we TPA, we can fund from our own internal resources. But on the other part, due to the nature of the project that we want to take, most of them, they are huge capital uh, projects. To the extent that, that if we depend much from our own funds we cannot do it now what we have opted we 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 plan to implement this project through PPP involvement of the private sector currently at the Salaam port we have a major port called Salaam maritime projects uh, this project has three components the one components is on deepening and strengthening of baths 1 to 7 which also is willing incorporate construction a new rural berth for motor vehicles. The second project is uh, uh, deepening and widening of interest channel and turning basin and the last which will be carried in the second phase of the project is installation of a conveyor system to handle uh, bulky cargo this project we expect to be funded by the World bank uh already we have started some of the components the first one which i said depending on the strengthening base one to seven when the tendering process now we have floated the tender uh, at the moment we are we have finalised the technical part the next now stage is for financial proposal. Uh, dredging and uh, depending on winter's channel and the, the undertone basin, we intended to uh, procure a consultant who is going to do the feasibility study to determine what the best way of doing it. Already we are at the final stage of proclaiming the, 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 the consultant I think by the end of this uh, the end of, of this month, we are going to have the concert in place. The other project we have, uh, apart from the salaam Maritime Gateway, we have a project in Mutwara. We want to build the four additional berths. We have started the procurement process, and now we are at the final stage of uh, having a contract in place to ensure that we do, given the fact that Mutwara is a big project and a very essential project taking into consideration the oil and the gas explosion taking place in the area. We have also the uh, motor development project which is without port. It can't be realized. Other small uh, projects we have around Dar es Salaam, we have the port of Bagamoyo which is uh, aimed at segmenting the capacity of that slum to handle the anticipated the traffic from the year 20 to20 20 to 2030. So those are the few projects that I can say we are having at the moment.
2: Well, there's a lot of stuff that's happening there uh, and also it's interesting because it seems to be projecting into the future of Tanzania but we'll come back to, to that particular development and how I want to also look at that issue of how do you actually create an appetite for the private industry as, as you highlighted Mr. Kotwana in terms of making sure that actually uh, the private sector also gets a buy in and also not just a buy in but also gets a reward from the particular investments. You are listening to Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. My name is Benjamin Mushatam. I'm joined by Leon Lynette rather, Chang, who is the CEO of the NAPED Business Foundation. I have also Mr. Kotwana Kotwana, the CEO of Export Credit Insurance. He was speaking earlier on today about de-risking uh, financing on infrastructure projects. And also uh, Mr. Ntandu Matayo, the Strategic Planning Manager, is joining us today. And he is from the Tanzania Ports Authority. Let's take a quick break and then we'll come back and continue with the conversation.
1: Always missing your favorite Channel Africa radio shows? Well, now you don't have to. We have a free catch-up service that allows you to listen to Channel Africa Radio content from your cell phone, computer or tablet at your convenience. Visit www.channelafrica.co.za and click on Programs for a list of your favorite shows. Select what you want to hear. Click on Listen and enjoy Channel Africa Radio. It's as easy as that. Channel Africa Radio, the voice of the African Renaissance.
2: Yes, you are listening to African Dialogue. My name is Benjamin Mushatama. Uh, today, as I mentioned earlier, we are at the second uh, public-private dialogue forum on infrastructure projects. We are uh, uh, hanging out with the uh, NAPID Business Foundation. We have been in partnering with them with other projects as well. So it's great to be here and see some of their work that they're continuing to do. And uh, we're in the second day. It's the final day of this uh, particular forum. And uh, maybe I should come to you, Linnea Cheng, in terms of uh, some of the issues that Highlighted yesterday, are you happy with the progress that was made yesterday in the first day of the forum?
7: Yes, Benjamin. We have um, had really positive response from the delegates, and I think that the the difference of this conference is that it's been very project focused. So, the private sector, as I mentioned, have a, a huge appetite uh, on all these projects, but often they are not able to speak to the right project sponsors or the project owners. And so, what we've done yesterday is to bring uh, the project sponsors from across the region to have a discussion on what is going on with the projects, what status they're at, um, and also to have a dialogue and to get the interest from the private sector and for them to um, ask questions for clarification, but also to see how we can partner for innovation. I think one of the key things that came out of it was that we need to do things differently on the continent if we're going to address the huge infrastructure needs, which means that... um, public sector has responsibility, but there's an increasing call for more private sector participation, so how do we do that? There are certain mechanisms through public-private partnership policies, but often I think that there's a lot of discussion that goes um, before the contracts are actually signed. It's really about bringing some ideas together, how do we partner, Um, how do we support both the public sector and the private sector, and you asked a little bit earlier about um, sure the private sector wants some reward? Um, but we also have to ensure that the, the needs of the public sector and the communities are met. And so through the NBF's Africa Infrastructure Desk that we've created, we play that strategic role. Uh, we define what is the project need, where the private sector plays a role, and where does the public sector play a role, and what is the impact for the communities. And so you do need a neutral facilitator, uh, such as the NEPAD Business Foundation, to make sure that the objectives are reached and that it's, it's a win-win situation for everybody
2: a win-win situation for everybody and sometimes when it comes to Africa, it's not always the case Mr. Kutwana, it's a win-win situation for everyone, we have a history of colonialism an issue of uh, plundering uh, corporations coming in and going out, how do we make sure that uh, as uh, many of the delegates have mentioned when we were here yesterday, that this is a new era for uh, the continent, this is where uh, Africa can actually own these projects, Africa cannot just uh, stand by watching others just come in and and, and manage these projects. It's time that we ourselves not only just uh, come up with the ideas but also benefit from the ideas. So that win-win situation, how do you create it, especially when we're talking about funding, where you still maintain the integrity of the project but also the investor gets something out of it?
6: Benjamin, uh, there has been a lot of talk about uh, whether there is funding for projects within the continent for the projects. And I say that uh, if you look hard enough, you look at issues around the ability to collect taxes, the ability to collect or to structure your tariffs appropriately, and uh, also the ability to manage the existing funding that is provided, say, by you know donor agencies and package that together, then you will be able to Uh, demonstrate to the private sector that I have something also that I can offer. Uh, Most of the cases, uh, governments are required to put up uh, 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 sovereign guarantees. Uh, Obviously, there is a reason for that. It's because the risks that are perceived to be, you know, dogging the the project are so huge that the private sector is unable to uh, uh, sort of absorb. And that's where we come in. We say because of the perception of the risks that are posed, by a lot of things, including you know regulatory uncertainties, you know the uh, possibilities uh, that during the you know elections there will be a government change and then the disruption on the project and then the project loses that integrity that you are talking about. At least someone should be able to take uh, the first lost position, if you want, such that I mean you know if uh, everything else goes haywire because of a politically motivated or politically initiated uh, event, then uh, there is somewhere where I can put that risk. And South African government, through the ECIC or export insurance, has actually effectively decided that in order to follow its commitment to regional, regionalization of the subcontinent, then we will be able to absorb that risk if uh, you know things go bad in any project that uh, we, are, we, are, we are participating in. Obviously, we participate through private banking institutions that are keen to invest their money in support of uh, South African industry, basically, because we are talking about export-led industrialization of South Africa as well. So it's a win-win situation Situation, between South Africa and wherever the destination may be, even in Tanzania, which is one area of our interest and I will be visiting them soon.
2: Fantastic, (laughs) we're already making deals here on African Dialogue. But uh, Mr. Matayo, you know, I'm sure it's very difficult when you're in that negotiating table, speaking to investors. What are the main challenges that you're finding, especially when it comes to the funding issue?
5: Yeah, as uh, Mr. Benja have said, The major constraint we're facing is how to mobilise funds to develop this infrastructure. And as I've I've said, our projects are capital-intensive projects. They require a huge amount of money. And when we involve private sector to participate in developing these uh, uh, projects, to them is a, a challenge as well not only to tpa but even to the investors they need time to mobilize funds and they even when they mobilize funds now the issue comes on how we 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 get together and they take up these projects this is what we are, we are the challenge we are facing in doing uh, in 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 making sure that uh, we, we proceed with our, our, our projects.
2: And so how do you deal with that particular bottleneck or that uh, limitation? Do you have to hold some of the projects or do you have to now keep looking for funds somewhere else? How do you deal with that particular aspect of things? Because I'm sure it's, it kind of holds things and slows things down.
5: Yeah, we have attempted this several times to float our projects to the private sector. For example, last year, we had a project of building a new new port at Mwambani, which is located in Tanga, northern part of Tanzania. We did it here in two phases. One was, for the first time, it was an expression of interest. Uh, Fortunately, enough, we had very good uh, response. But when we went for request proposal we selected those who qualified in terms of technical we sent them a request for proposal but until when we were closing the closing date we couldn't get any response now at the moment we are trying to go again to our tender document to review it in a view of accommodating what what was uh, raised as difficulties from the from the bidders this is the approach they, what, that, that what we are, we are we are doing at the moment
2: and also coordinating all these different projects uh, Lynette. Uh, it's very difficult i'm sure because there's so many things that are happening on the continent so many projects As the nappet business foundation do you have a certain strategy on how you uh, how you work because i'm sure there's so much to cover
7: Yes, um, certainly. We obviously align ourselves to the NEPAD agency's PEDA program, so we've evaluated about 665 projects um, across the continent down to the regional level and um, we s- decided to focus on the North-South Corridor. Now the corridor goes from Durban to, through to Dar es Salaam and cuts across five or six or seven countries and so it is very complex. These are cross-border projects that require a lot of coordination and um, one of the projects that was highlighted yesterday that we we're focusing on is the North-South Corridor rail project and that is bringing five countries rail operators together to look at how do we harmonize policy and regulation, how do we work out a new economic model Um, for transportation, for example, to ship or to move goods from a a mining uh, industry, say in the DRC or the Zambian Copper Belt to Durban. um, There's a lot of constraints. It takes up to sometimes 30 days, um, a plus, you know, there's border posts in between where you have to pay visa fees, etc. And so by the time you get your goods to the port, it's very expensive. And therefore, you're finding that um, the, most of the cargo is being moved onto road. And as you know, the roads in Africa are taking a huge beating. Um, and obviously, the rail network exists. It's been there for, you know, 100 years or so. But there's just lack of coordination. So the North South Corridor project is very exciting for us, because we have a agreed um, and got commitment from those five countries' rail operators to work together and look at things differently. So where we talk about uh, through the FEID work at the NBF, our role is coordinate the rail operators as in the the government agencies and then bring the private sector on board so that we co-develop new ideas and we speed things up. Um, So I think that there's a lot of um, potential, uh, but I do say that, again, that we need a new way of doing things. We cannot wait for the traditional processes of where projects were, you know, designed... Free, pre-feasibility, feasibility, and then it just goes out to tender. I think that there's a big role for private sector to play at the early stages of project in helping to design what that solution should be.
2: Mm. I think that's a very important element because sometimes governments just come up with the ideas and then only do we actually go to the private sector and actually uh, then say, hey, this is what we want to do. Can you assist us? Uh, Mr. Kutwano Kutwano, in terms of involving uh, the private sector as government, in terms of uh, the planning stages of uh, such uh, uh, projects, how important is it, uh, especially when it comes to the issue of financing?
6: Absolutely important. Um, we have always said that uh, when you, if, if you were involved with a project, you are able to identify all the uh, components of the project, all the risks all the benefits, you're able to sort of package them nicely, and you are already working with government, you're already working with uh, uh, technical experts in that project. So by the time that you come to the financing or financial closure of the project uh, time, the time when you know you are called in to say, how much am I pledging as a financier? And also as an insurer like ECIC, you have been part of the project, so you understand the kind of risk that you are insuring. That enables you to appropriately uh, price the project or even price the funding that you are giving the project. So it lowers the cost of funding. Mm
2: -hmm. And also, I'm also interested in the whole issue of bankable projects. It was a big topic yesterday. Everyone was talking about a bankable projects, and we kept on kind of talking about it in the program yesterday. Are we creating the right projects that are bankable for the private sector, for banks themselves? Uh, uh, Mr. Matayo, is is that a trick for government to create projects that are bankable? Yeah, uh, it is.
5: Uh, like in Tanzania, what we are doing, in any project that we plan to undertake, we always do feasibility study. Which gives you the all indicators whether the project is viable or not. And then once we have determined that the project is viable, that is the time when we we invite whether when we are doing it ourselves, we go straight forward to do it. If we find we are not unable we are unable to do it, That is where we invited the private sector to participate in developing the port infrastructure. Mm -hmm.
2: And and so in terms of creating that uh, landscape where you actually are having bankable projects, do you consult with your investors before coming up with those feasible studies? How do you conduct that element?
5: Uh, Usually, maybe, it might be not to such extent, but the, when we do feasibility study, we do involve stakeholders, including the private sector. I can't say maybe <laughs> we have exhausted, but we, we always try to, to involve the private sector during the feasibility study and the end or the final reports. When you get the final report, we present it to the private sector. They
2: see it before we, we, we go to the next step of implementation. Well, I'm going to have to go to another break, and we're going to wrap it up. Uh, I want us to look at some of the uh, issues that were highlighted today, uh, earlier in this morning with uh, Lynette, and also uh, maybe as we wrap it up, we can find a way of how we can move forward more swiftly in terms of these particular projects. But let's go back to studio and have another break before we wrap up the conversation.
1: Always missing your favorite Channel Africa radio shows? Well, now you don't have to. We have a free catch-up service that allows you to listen to Channel Africa radio content from your cell phone, computer or tablet at your convenience. Visit www.channelafrica.co.za and click on programs for a list of your favorite shows. Select what you want to hear. Click on Listen and enjoy Channel Africa Radio. It's as easy as that. Channel Africa Radio, the voice of the African Renaissance. African Dialogue,
0: looking at different events in depth, discussing a variety of issues.
5: This is a very significant uh, historical
6: election. This crisis is still damaging, especially Finnish and European economies very hardly. And that's an uh, important reason to get more and more co- cooperation.
4: And uh, what we see here is a clear violation of one, the right to privacy of uh, Tiwonge and uh, Stephen,
2: Uh, how we wrap it up. This is our final session here on uh, uh, African Dialogue. We're at the second public-private dialogue forum on infrastructure projects. Uh, We are based here at the Hyatt Hotel outside Broadcasting Way. Everything is happening. The delegates are here, up to 300 delegates, really trying to uh, find a way of how to accelerate regional projects on the continent. And Lynette, as we wrap it up, uh, let's just speak about today uh, what's going to be coming up at the rest of the day, uh, highlight some of the issues that were highlighted at the beginning, uh, how are we' going to wrap up this particular forum
7: so we will be going into breakaway sessions uh, for the rest of the afternoon which we will be focusing on specific projects and I mentioned innovation earlier so two of the projects that we 're going to be discussing is um, one is the regional rolling stock leasing pool, which is really innovative um, it 's been done over all over the world but not in Africa yet and the idea is how in, the rail operators in the region are quite constrained um, in terms of financing, but they have huge demand. So the mining industry is booming. They have uh, I- increased loads that they have to move over the next five to 10 years, um, but there's not enough rolling stock or wagons to transport these goods. And so we, the, this project idea is about creating, I mean, to put it in a very simple context, like a, an Avis car hive for, for rail. And I think that this will resolve a lot of short-term uh, needs where, the rail operators can hire as many wagons as they need for for a customer um, over time, so they don't actually have to buy their own locomotives, which will ha- require a lot of capital investment upfront, which they don't have. So I think that that's quite innovative. Um, the other project in this afternoon, which will be profiling is on the renewable energy independent power producers programs in Africa, um, and this was a project run in South Africa, where, as you know, we're facing huge energy constraints, um, but there has been innovative ideas where you're allowing independent uh, power producers to provide power to the rural areas, etc. Because right now the current grid cannot handle the, the demand. Um, so you have to, it's, not, it's almost um, not privatisation in full but you're allowing new enterprises to develop which are SMEs and this is I think more of what we need in the continent. That The responsibilities are huge on government but sometimes you have to allow uh, innovation to happen and thereby allow new businesses to be created. Mm -hmm. So these are some of the projects we'll be discussing this afternoon. Yeah,
2: very practical stuff indeed. But as we're about to wrap it up, Lynette, you were just highlighting uh, some factors on how we can move forward in terms of creating uh, bankable uh, uh, projects. But uh, you highlighted a very important uh, word. Coordination seems to be the key here.
7: That's right, Benjamin. So while we have all these fantastic projects, um, as I mentioned, there are hundreds of them, um, and the governments are being put under pressure to deliver, and it's, uh, not only to deliver for social needs, but also to increase trade and investment flows into their countries, which will make the economy stronger. But the challenge is that um, while there's huge pressure, and as you know, there's lots of investment coming into Africa over the past decade, um, while Africa is the richest continent on the world in terms of its mineral wealth, a majority of our people are still poor. So how are we going to transform these investments into real economic development? How are we going to create jobs? How are we going to train thousands of engineers? Um, And I think that there needs to be a change in mindset uh, from investors and the public sector to say, the public sector's role is to say, we want you to invest, but these are the terms and conditions. Um, and the private sector has to have a change of mindset to say, we're not only investing there for the short, short term, but for the long term. So it's a 10, 20 year plan. And in order for us to have real impact, we have to make sure that the, the, the country is prosperous and will be able to grow economically. Mm. And that requires a level of coordination, um, as I said, that the NBF does to bring all the stakeholders together to make sure that everybody is aligned to the same vision.
2: And moving forward for you Mr. Matayo, what's the key? I know that you work in the ports industry but uh, in terms of some other developments into your country, how do you think we can be more effective in how we tackle infrastructure development in our various regions and countries? Uh, Thank you Mr. Benja. As we said,
5: in order to achieve our goals coordination is very important as we uh, in Tanzania as we plan port infrastructure we are not planning it in isolation we look also into what other government agencies and the government in general is doing to improve transport infrastructure so my call is to enhance coordination of whatever we want to do so as to
2: achieve our goals and finally let's end the program with you Mr. Kotwana Uh, you were looking at financing how do we coordinate in financing because I'm sure you also need to coordinate there it's not an area to neglect when it comes to coordination
6: that's very important uh, because you know we need uh, some sort of a paradigm shift in terms of how we structure and package the uh, the financing uh, component of the total project offering if you have a bankable project and then you need to raise appropriate funding for that project uh, is it going to be on a project by project basis or are you going to have a suite of projects or project uh, types or project sectors that you already say that I mean if it comes and it is a port project then I have a uh, this uh, technical solution and this is going to be my funding model and my funding structure and I will have uh, insurance backing, say, from MIGA, from ECIC and from other export credit agencies because these are massive projects, as uh, you know, it has already been mentioned, and they are complex and they require a, a, you know, multi, multiple of, of sources of funds, multiple of sources of participants. So you have to be very innovative in terms of how you coordinate all those, tru- I mean, all those participants together into one uh, 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 you know, consolidated structure. Mm. That's one very important thing to us at the moment.
2: Well, it's a lot of work that needs to be done in different sectors in uh, different ways. But want to thank our guests. Want to thank Elineth Chang, the CEO of the NAPED Business Foundation. Also want to thank uh, Tando Matayo, the Strategic Planning Manager of the Tanzania Ports Authority. I think Tanzania is the only country that I've been to outside of South Africa, so it's good to connect <coughs> with the Tanzanian. Also uh, want to thank to Mr. Kutwana Kutwana who is the CEO of Export Credit Insurance. Uh, and uh, thank you all for joining us on the project. And not forget my uh, producer there, standing at the Baye Hunza Muyahi, who actually put this all together for the last two days and did a fantastic job right here at the Hyatt Hotel. Uh, we're going to end the program with a song from Colin Shabani. We lost this great man. And, uh, hey, uh, sad news. But, hey, let's uh, end with a tune from uh, one of his songs.
8: Good morning, I'm Usani Matibula with your Economics News. More than 30 African countries are experiencing power shortages and regular interruptions in service, this leading to many to rely on very costly leased generating plants. As an emergency stopgap, independent energy analyst Chris Yerland says this is largely due to a growing population and increasing electricity demands.
6: Our countries uh, they face similar problems, largely due to expanding population, uh, growing electricity demand and poor planning. South Africa is no different in this regard. We should be worried. We are worried. There is a crisis, an electricity crisis, an ESCOM crisis at the moment. We have experienced regular load sheddings in December and January and in February as well. This is having an impact across country. It's an important issue uh, that has to be dealt with.
8: Namibia's consumer inflation has slowed sharply to 3.6% year-on-year in February from 4.5% in the month before. On a month-on-month basis, prices contracted by 0.2% in February after rising 0.8% in the previous month. In Malawi, consumer inflation has slowed to 19.7% year-on-year in February from 21.2% in January. And in South Africa, headline consumer inflation slowed sharply to 3.9% year-on-year in February from 4.4% in January. At least 1,000 UK based African professionals are gathering in London this week to meet with 25 Pan African employers who are flying and especially to woo them home with great opportunities. Homecoming revolution speed meet Africa is taking place at Olympia Conference Center Kensington on Friday and Saturday. Thousands of Africans have returned home over the past five years, with an estimated 359,000 South Africans alone returning home during this period. Tanzania will receive a total of $380 million in loans from India to finance two major water projects in the East African nation. India's government has offered $100 million to improve water supply in the commercial city Dar es Salaam and $280 million to help supply water from Lake Victoria to Dabora, Nzenga and Ingunga towns. Earlier on, Tanzania said it will get a $300 million concessional loan from the World Bank's International Development Association to help improve roads and other facilities in its commercial capital, Dar es Salaam to neighbouring Kenya, Cooperative Bank of Kenya, posting a 0.5% rise in 2014 pre-tax profit to $118.63 million. The lender, which serves individuals and cooperatives in the East African nation, says it incurred a once-off payment to cut staffing as part of its restructuring programme. The maximum price of the top-grade Kenyan tea dropped at this week's sale. Kenya is the world's leading exporter of black tea and the Commodities, a major foreign exchange earner for the economy. Let's look now at your financial indicators. The dollar trading at 12.33 South African rands at 9.92 Botswana Pula and 7.73 Zambian Guacha. Also trading at 0.67 to the British pound and 0.94 against the Euro. Commodities gold $1,150. Platinum $1,094 of an ounce. Brent crude oil is at $53.20 per barrel. That's your economics news.
3: Thank you. We start with the economic news. I'm Figliulunguadi with your sports news. South Africa recorded a nine-wicket victory over Sri Lanka in the first quarter final at the Sydney Cricket Ground. Earlier, JP Dumini took a hat trick as South Africa's bowlers left their side on the brink of the World Cup semi-finals after dismissing Sri Lanka for just 133. South Africa were 44 for one off six overs at the dinner break, needing a further 94 runs to reach the World Cup semi-finals. Prettiest captain Aby De Villas.
1: I didn't have to do too much. The guys were, were honestly very motivated for this game. Um, yeah, so I just I'm just very proud of what the guys achieved here today. Uh, we always felt like um, you know it's it's uh, the knockout stages. You almost never know what to expect. It's difficult difficult games, difficult situations. But um, just had a good feeling coming into the uh, to the ground today. The guys were really in a good space. Um, we really rocked up mentally today, uh, wanted to win this game, and we were almost obsessed with our goal and really went after it.
3: Sri Lanka captain Angelo Mathis says he can't say for sure as to what went wrong.
5: Don't know, to be honest. I thought, uh, you know, one thirty was, was not too much on this track. Um, you know, there were no demons on the track. We could have batted well. You know, we could have at least, you know, get to 2.50 and give our bowlers a chance, but unfortunately, we didn't bat well. Maybe the nerves, uh, we just... Um, you know, didn't go for our shots, maybe. Uh, but you know, look, uh, you know, this is the worst performance that you know we've done in the World Cup, and, and it happened to be in the quarterfinals.
3: And to football news: South Africa's Bafana Bafana are set to play two international friendly games this month. On the 25th, South Africa on Swaziland at 1900 hours Central African time before hosting Nigeria at the Mbombela Stadium in the country's Mbomalanga province on the 29th at 3 p.m. Central African time. Coach Shex Mashaba is hoping that the Bafana Bafana squad he put together will be able to bring results.
5: We've uh, put up a list of 30 players and these two games will give us enough time and a chance to be able to see almost all these players that
6: we have in here.
5: I think uh, one of our criteria is to, uh, to select players It's a current form. I mean, if you look at other players that are back here, they started playing in their teams now. And that is why we have selected them.
3: Mashaba expects Super Eagles to speed fire when they meet following the results during the Afghan qualification rounds in Cape Town Stadium and in Nigeria.
5: I, I don't know whether I should say it's, it's time to get things straight now. We drew with them twice, and uh, it's time now to show them that no, we, we 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 have turned the corner. It is our time now. But I think it's going to be both games interesting to see.
3: And finally, with tennis news world number two roger federer turned the tables on andrea Seppi of italy having lost to him at the australian open federer beat Seppi 6-3 6-4 to reach the quarters of the bnp paribas open in indian wales and atp masters 1000 event here's roger federer talking about his win against Seppi. yeah
6: absolutely it was an opportunity right right away to play him again and sort of you raise it to some extent from the memory as the season goes, moves forward. Um, I, don't, I don't think we both played very well. Uh, both struggled with the conditions, the balls. I think it's, it's tough to get a hold of them, uh, you know, the right way with the right spin. But maybe as you move along in the tournament, hopefully it's going to get better uh, for me and for any player. But um, it's one of those matches you, you're happy you're through and I was happy it was over. That's your spot news this hour.